This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. My mom was just here visiting and I was asking her, like, does the world feel especially like to be a heartbroken place? I feel so heartbroken about so many pieces of what's happening right now and especially in the the last months. It has been really hard um, to be able to hold, you know, the joy of my child's 10th birthday and, and reading the news of the day and feeling so heartbroken for what's happening. Welcome to How To, I'm Courtney Martin. I'm interested in this moment that we're facing in public life. There's something about the last few months that have felt like getting hit by a semi-truck of devastating news. And we really don't know how to respond. This is the kind of stuff that goes through my head, maybe it goes through your head. First of all, if you express sadness over one tragedy, does it mean you're neglecting another simultaneous one? And if you repost a reflection from someone on one side of an issue, does that mean you've suddenly like taken sides, full stop? How can you speak up when, truth be told, you don't know as much as you'd like to about an issue? That happens to me a lot. And what about just going through the everyday, you know, functions of life? I find myself trying to send an email and then I think like, oh, should I put a preamble that says, the world is burning, but like, can you send me that file you owe me? I don't know, guys. The overwhelm is real. We can't tune the world out, which means we need to figure out how the hell to be a person in it. And when I struggle with how to be a person, what I do is talk to my friends. One such friend is Jen Bloomer, a teacher, mom of biracial children, and most important for today's conversation, a visual artist who uses her gift as a form of activism. 
I spent many years being very fearful about sharing in public. And as I've grown older and bolder, and I think especially having kids, um, it really gave me a lot more courage to kind of step forth and use my art to share what I believe um, needs to be shared in the world, but it feels very messy and complicated. And there are many times where I can get caught in the like, well, if I share one thing, you know, if I stand up for one cause or if I get upset about one thing, um, you know, publicly out in social media or out um, in my newsletter, et cetera, then I need to stand up for everything. Uh, but I can get very stuck in feeling like I can't take on everything. I'm one person. How do I hold you know, the pieces, how do I stand up when I can? And also just to add into this, um, having young kids. And there are times when I physically can't, can't be a voice in the world. Um, and, you know, can feel really badly about that or feel confused on, um, how to show up and, uh, you know, having a community of people who follow me and just really knowing, um, how to not, get lost in the like, this is so overwhelming. Um, I can't even do anything. And do you feel like it has gotten worse in recent months or years, this like feeling of onslaught and like discernment? Yeah, I think um, I sit with this a lot. I'm like, are humans getting more evil or is it just that we have like smartphones that allow us to see what's happening? Yeah. Could you take us into a moment recently when you were trying to figure out what to post. And I should say, you know, part of, you should all go check out Jen's work um, online um, at Instagram, Ritchie Studios to get a sense of this. But Jen does like beautiful paintings and will often use quotations from people who are experts on various topics or create like beautiful protest posters. It's always like linked to very evergreen topics and evergreen kind of movement zeitgeist things I feel like but it's like you are a pretty timely artist compared to a lot of people so can you take us into like a moment anytime recently where you were trying to decide whether to respond to something and how did you work through that the recent events in Gaza, I think I felt very uninformed about the specifics of what was happening and the news I was getting. And especially in the very beginning, it felt very horrified by um, the reports of what I was understanding had happened to, you know, folks in um, the people in Israel. And then the response in Gaza, I, I initially felt very confused about like, I need to really inform myself historically and understand this. And how do I even write about this? And I think I have to keep reminding myself that I, I'm an artist and um, words are something I use in a lot of my work, but um, I really feel called to the the imagery around how we hold this and also recognizing that like, I don't want to be a source of news for people and how to hold that, um, you know, kind of knowing what I don't know alongside my deep belief and my deep um, feeling that I have a calling to speak up and to share that deep heartbrokenness um, with the world. Listen, it should be stated here in no uncertain terms. Getting all twisted up inside about what to post on social media is a privilege. You know, when you're directly impacted by violence, exploitation, climate catastrophe, all this stuff we're seeing in the headlines, you don't fuss over a tweet. You're in a crisis. You just try to survive. 
Now, having said that though, there are a lot of us that aren't in the direct line of fire and we need to engage. To help us think that through, I wanted to bring in someone whose guidance I deeply admire. I'm Nadia Boltzweber. I'm a public theologian, so I talk about issues of spirituality and humanness and the divine outside of the construct of organized religion quite often, even though I am ordained Lutheran pastor. And my bishop has issued me a what's called a letter of call to do that, to have those kind of conversations outside the church. So I write and speak about grace and human failing and compassion and my own flaws and prayer and how messy and complicated being a human is. And then I, um, I'm a volunteer chaplain at a women's prison here in Denver as well. Badass, right? Oh man, Nadia has a lot to teach us about supporting other humans through all kinds of injustice and tragedy. And I want to say, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know if this applies to me, I don't have a platform. Everyone, unfortunately, unfortunately, has a platform, right? A sphere of influence within their own personal bubbles. Might be online, might be in person. So let's learn how to speak up and support each other together. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. Nadia, I feel like I just had this image when Jen said, you know, learn about the history of the Middle East of like her trying to like cram the history of the Middle East while like stirring some craft mac and cheese, you know, for her kids, which I think is like really how I feel a lot of the time. I think how a lot of people who are not even public figures, just like regular people who just feel like an obligation to understand things, but also just have lives and have a limit on what they actually know about because of their experience or their educational background or whatever. So what do you hear, Nadia, in what Jen is saying? Oh, my gosh, so much. Jen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, I think you're really just articulating what millions of people are feeling right now. We're being pushed to the limits of our ability to hold and have feelings about uh, what's happening all over the world. Because we're also working and stirring our macaroni and cheese for our kids, that's why we end up getting news from Instagram honestly, like a lot of people don't have the time and the capacity to to really, quote, educate themselves about something as, you know, complicated as the Middle East or educate themselves about gender issues or race relations or the effect of race-based chattel slavery in America. I mean, all of these things that are just have been stirred up so much to where we can't really ignore them anymore. And yet, 
our bandwidth is almost spoken for. So it is really hard to have that capacity to, to do the deep dive and also show up for our lives. Just to speak to something you said, Jen, I think people are exactly the same amount of evil as we've always been. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's been an uptick in human evilness. I think that it's very new that we're exposed to every form of it all the time. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that's very different. It's such a recent thing that we, we now are exposed to every form of suffering and injustice that happens to every person across the entire planet every minute of the day. And our psyches just were not developed to be able to hold that. I mean, I try and think anthropologically as much as I can these days, just because I find a place of compassion for ourselves when I do that. To say like, how have human beings mostly lived throughout human history? And that's what we're more adapted for. And it's so recent that we live in an industrialized society. It's so recent that we live isolated from our families, that we have what I've been calling the tyranny of choice, that um, human beings have never been faced with having, we now have to choose the very best life partner from every human on the planet. We have to make that choice. <laughs> we, we choose from every uh, career that is available in the world. We have to make the best choice for that, the best choice of what to study, the best choice of how to spend our extracurricular activities when we're a teenager. We have to choose so many things that humans have just never had to choose before. And that includes like what words and images are we going to post on social media as a response to the information that we don't even really have the capacity to hold and understand. And so the sort of rising anxiety levels in our culture are completely understandable to me and can be attributed to that in so many ways. I wanna pause on that for a second. There's a certain relief in accepting that your response, your anxiety, your fear, your uncertainty is totally normal. Maybe humans aren't extra evil, but we are exposed to more evil than ever before. And we're not built for it. Literally, our bodies and minds and hearts do not know how to process it. The other thing, Jen, that I thought was amazing, you actually used the word call. Like you said, I feel called to create art, you know, to be an artist, to make these images. And that I guess I, the thing I kind of want to say is like, um, that actually is enough. Like, it's enough to do the thing that's yours to do. I have this teacher, Suzanne Stabile, and she taught me these discernment questions, and I use them every day, which is, what's mine to do and what's not mine to do? Um, what's mine to say and what's not mine to say? And then the third one's harder because it, it feels callous, but what's mine to care about and what's not mine to care about? That's not to say it's not worthy to be cared about by someone, but that we have to acknowledge the limits of our ability to care and respond about everything that happens throughout the world. And I, to me, if I'm in my lane and I'm doing what's mine to do and resting in that, then the next step 
is to is to assure myself it actually is enough and to assure myself that there are others in the world who are doing work I'm not equipped to or called for and to celebrate them, to point to them, to be grateful for them, but to not feel like I have to also be them. Mm -hmm. That's really, really deep. Nadia, can you juxtapose that with um, Jen? I'm guessing we have both been sort of self-flagellating with this phrase at different moments in our lives, which is silence is violence, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes I think you can think, oh, I'm asking what is mine? And I think this isn't mine. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes when I have that train of thought, then silence is violence pops up for me. And I think, wait, is this one of those moments when I'm saying as a white person or as a, you know, American person or as a person with economic privilege that, oh, this isn't I don't know enough about this. This isn't my thing that I'm actually being violent in my Mm -hmm. ignorance or my silence. I think that plays really well on social media, but I try to really be careful about not allowing memes to define my self-regard. And it's easy to do that. And that really is so much of the trap of social media is the way it hacks our neurochemistry. And um, we really... One of the things that human beings, I think, end up putting energy toward is protecting our self-regard. And when you have absolute strangers in your life putting up words that you're seeing, and then that's going to be the thing that tells you whether you can maintain your self-regard. It's not a winnable sort of game, because as soon as you say one thing, then a critic somebody who doesn't probably know you on social media is going to critique that thing. And then now you go, oh, wait, now maybe I'm not a good person. I have to apologize in the perfectly worded way so that I can be contrite enough that this person then says, oh, okay, we now have all agreed you're a good person. Here's the thing, that's never going to happen. It's, it's an empty game. For Nadia, she realized that these interactions were missing two main values, grace and compassion. There are not a lot of voices on social media that really um, feel like they're in any way filled with grace and compassion when it comes to any of these kind of conversations. Like it's actually if you express some grace towards people or compassion, it's seen as treason. You're soft, you're... Um, you're this or that, there are all these labels for it. And so I have to kind of go, okay, where are the voices I can trust? And I actually sent an email this morning to Valerie Carr. Do you guys know who Valerie Carr is? So if you don't know who she is, Valerie Carr is a civil rights leader, award-winning filmmaker, and author of this beautiful book called See No Stranger. She's also the founder of this amazing thing called The Revolutionary Love Project. Don't you just love that title? This is why I wanted to circle around to what Jen did, because she made art out of Valerie Carr's oh. quotation, <laughs> and oh. they have they have a relationship. Oh, okay. I just sent her an email this morning because, because <laughs> I, I said, this. I said, Valerie, I just want to reach out and say, you continue to be a guide for me in these times because she's fierce about, you know, Martin Luther said, a theologian of the cross calls a thing what it is. And Valerie can call a thing what it is when it comes to human suffering and injustice. And somehow she still centers compassion and love when she does it. 
And she does not sacrifice one for the other. And it's extraordinary to me. So I just sent her an email saying, thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Jen, do you want to tell the story of what you did create? In, in, so we this can like crazy. connect this beautiful dot. Yeah. I'm laughing at the, at the amazing resonance. Because yes, I, uh, I read her book um, in 2020. I think I did a very, uh, as we're talking about the stirring the macaroni and cheese, right? Mm -hmm. I had young kids as the pandemic shut everything down um, and, you know, working until midnight at night because my kids are home from school. Um, but I would go read her book until mm -hmm. like three in the morning because it was the only thing holding me together. Yeah. It just felt so resonant yeah. and had an, a really interesting kind of experience of being like, this feels true to me. I want yeah. more people to hear this voice. Yes. Um, and so late at night, I started drawing, you know, what came to me as I read her words and then um, posted them. Um, and then she actually shared them on her Instagram account. And what I thought was so powerful is her caption that she shared. I was like, her caption is profound, like the caption for the other one. So then I started illustrating her caption and it's just been this really powerful for, way for me to continue to stay grounded in mm. everything. Um, because I don't feel like I have the words the actual words that I'd like to share. And I feel like finding the people, as you were saying, you know, that finding the people who, who do have the words, I'm like, how can I amplify those, those, those insightful pieces and, um, hold true and, and finding those, those, you know, as you were saying, finding your lane, finding the place where you can really show up and not trying to be all of the things. Amazing. <laughs> I can't wait to go and look that up. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> well, see, I think you are doing it and that we have mm. to allow ourselves the feeling of I've done what's mine to do and I can rest mm. and know that mm. it's almost like living a contemplative life to be mm. able to, in a real centered kind of grounded place to go, what is mine to say right now, you know, and to allow mm your connection to whatever your spiritual connection is in the world, to allow your connection to that in the quiet and stillness of your life with your hand on your own heart and to just go take a breath and go, what is mine to do? Mm. What is specifically mm. mine to say? And to allow that to be enough because there's no way to quiet the critics on social media who are going to say, if you do, if you do this, then you're not really that, you know, it's just, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. You know, when I was in my parish, people on Twitter would be like, if you go to church and you, the preacher doesn't mention this thing that happened this week, find another church. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, I, I would love it if people kind of trusted me to know what my parish needs to hear in the moment and not presume mm. as a stranger on Twitter to know more than I do in the work I was called mm. to. And we do this constantly with each other. There's two things here that I want to pull out. First, we gotta give each other the grace to know what's best for our communities, but also figure out what really matters to us. Then, and here's the second thing, you gotta act with the gifts you have in the way you're called to. Now, I've always been drawn to the theologian Frederick Breuchner's idea that our calling is where our, quote, deep gladness meets the world's deep need. Isn't that beautiful? While you ponder it, we're going to take a quick break and be right back. 
Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the show. Before we hop back into my conversation with Nadia and Jen, I need your help for a future episode. Do you want to rethink your relationship with alcohol? Maybe you're doing dry January and want to figure out how to extend the challenge further into the year. Or like me, maybe you're not that interested in an abstinence approach and you're wondering about just cutting down on drinking. What does that look like? How do you explore your relationship with drinking? Anyway, let us know. We are looking for a listener who wants to come on the show and get some advice. I know I have a lot to learn. Email us at howtoatslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. All right, back to the show. We're back with artist Jen Bloomer and theologian Nadia Bowles-Weber. Nadia, I have a, a totally weird question, but I've just been thinking about it, which is like, would Jesus be on Instagram? <laughs> like, like um, if we're just... <laughs> I don't, I really, I think he would not have a lot of followers. Um, he might, he might be on it, but I don't think that, uh, honestly, knowing everything that was written down about what he said, uh, none of that shit would really fly. No, it wouldn't. No. Mm. Like, um, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's not going to get a lot of shares. Um, you mm. do, none of the shit gets you a dopamine bump because the dopamine hit so often is your ego going, mm, yum, 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 yum. Right. So, mm, uh, right. and that is not usually what he was laying down. So his stuff was, it challenged the people around him in a lot of ways. And then, you know, I don't think that like, if there's a photo of him having dinner with Roman soldiers and sex workers, there are these two whole populations that would cancel him, you know, on one side or the other. So I think that probably mm. wouldn't get him a lot of followers. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna have to say, I don't think he'd be a very good influencer, no. A couple of years ago at a Q&A, someone said, Nadia, what is your hope for the for yourself for the future? And I go, first, I hope I can go through a yoga class without getting angry. Okay, secondly, <laughs> I, my, my great hope is, is that my view of the world and myself and others is more rooted in my life, in my actual life than it is in the shit I read online. And mm. um, it's on me to have relationships with or connections to people who have different life experience than I do, um, so that it's not just my own view, 
but it's very different. Like my daughter, it's her 25th birthday today, and she's living with us because she moved home at the end of the summer. She lived in the occupied West Bank for a year. And so I posted a sermon because primarily I'm a preacher and a theologian. And so my response to anything is going to be in the art form that I'm called to, that that's my lane. And I wrote something for All Saints about the grief, the just oceans of grief that every single person who loved the people in Israel who were slaughtered and every single person who loves the people in Gaza who are slaughtered cre has created this absolute ocean of grief. Because like when my mm. nephew was shot and killed two years ago, we've never recovered and everybody who's close to him is still grieving. And like to think of the magnitude of, you know, 12, mm. 13,000 people and everyone in their lives. And some, and a couple people on Instagram, because I put a quote up, said, you need to educate yourself about Palestine. And I'm like, mm. well, I've, for 15 years, I've, I've had relationships with Palestinian Christians. I was just there in January. My daughter lived there for a year. They don't know anything about me. They don't know mm -hmm. about what I have experienced. And so you can't allow those voices to be what determines how we how you feel about yourself. Mm. You know? <sighs> Nadia, one of the words you said that stuck out to me so much, and Jen, I wonder how you relate to this, as you said, about role. And I was thinking about uh, my mentor, Parker Palmer, talks a lot about role versus soul. And I feel like that's part of what you're saying is like, when you feel like, oh, I should say something, that should is often so connected to some role in your head, like you've objectified yourself in some way that like, and the self-regard piece as opposed to soul, which is like Jen's at the coffee table at 1 a.m. drawing Valerie. Yeah. And like that, it's still all mm -hmm. social media, right? Mm -hmm. That Like we're all using the same medium, but the actual place that you're drawing from Jen when you're in that state of mind is about your soul right. instead of in your role. And I'm sure you could think of social media posts that you've done that were in the role mm -hmm. zone as, yeah. as I certainly could. Oh yeah. Big time. Yes. I so, yeah, I'm so appreciating what both of you are saying. Um, so much insight and I keep getting chills. I'm like, yes. And one thing I, if I'm allowed to ask more questions, <laughs> of course, and one thing I, I really sit with is just, in looking at my identity and who I am, and I spend so much time kind of grounding in that and feel both that as like a life calling and also just kind of a, a level of responsibility within what I do um, with my art and the way I put it out there, it feels very important to continue to, to come back to that. But I am a white woman and have all kinds of privileges connected to that. When is privilege um, both an important thing to look at um, in speaking up or in not speaking up? Mm. Um, it's interesting because my, my, this is a very roundabout way of answering or responding, I guess, but I was very, very influenced by identity politics for years and that mm. lens of everything in the world is read through which identities are privileged over others and who has, mm -hmm. you know, more, more power in a situation. And, um, it is no longer my primary lens. I'm glad I had mm -hmm. it. And I think it's effective in some ways, but the totalizing view of it has limits. Um, and mm -hmm. what I mean by that is 
in my work in the women's prison, I've gotten a whole different kind of education. We almost never talk about class. And mm. um, in the prison, every, I'm there once or twice a week, and it is basically an underclass that exists in our society that we warehouse. And so often people talk about the racial aspect of incarceration, and that's certainly um, an aspect of it. But in Colorado, um, you know, most of the people overwhelmingly are, are white in the prison who are incarcerated, but they are undereducated. There, it is an underclass. Absolutely. They, they've never had dental care. They don't have educations. They often don't even have the opportunity to have the kind of brain development that we do because of even nutrition, right? So uh, it, it, it has, and you start talking about like identity politics in the way that educated white liberals do in the prison. And they, these women just look at you like, what are you talking about? This is not, <laughs> this is, yeah. this is not their concern or their world mm. or their or their lens at all. And so I guess I think it might be time to say, okay, this is a, a view, a totalizing view that has really taken over the academy in so many ways and influences so many things in our culture. And it has really um, shown us some truths, but it is not the only valid lens for seeing the world. Right. Yeah. And it gets back to these like material condition questions, which I guess is an academic phrase. So here I am. <laughs> but but like who who has power, who has money, who who's vulnerable to violence? How does like me posting on social media actually change any of that? Because it's like it can be so easy, especially like in the stage we're talking about, Jen, that we're in of parenting young children and like being really busy to start to see the Instagram post as the thing because it's just nearby, it's on your phone, it's structured to keep us addicted to it and thinking that's the place we need to take some quote unquote action. When in fact, a block from my house is like a place for veterans, homeless veterans that I just after like 10 years realized was a place for homeless veterans. And now I'm like, oh, I could bring sheets over there. And maybe <laughs> exactly. that's like a far better use of my time than deliberating whether I should like, you know, post some certain thing. I think that's exactly right. I mean, that's, I guess, along the lines of my whole, I want my my life to be the thing that influences how I think about myself and others in the world. I love this. I, it's a, I feel like this will be a touchstone for me when I get into that swirling place that I know so many of us can get into of what should I be posting or what should I be saying and kind of like remember this conversation and come back to, you know, the questions you gave us, Nadia, of what's mine and also just like trying to feel into like my real soul versus some role I think I'm playing. Mm -hmm. um, because I think in the swirl of busy days, it's easy to fall back on the shallowest lens, which is that kind of self-protective, how do I show up in the way that like will make me feel good about myself right. versus actually shifting, you know, power and money and attention towards people who deserve so much more of all three. This has been so beautiful. Um, I'm so appreciative to your wise words. I'm excited to go back and listen to this all again. Uh, well, I, I want to say I'm really excited to go check out your art. And I just think you're actually like you came on as the person with the, per the question who's struggling, but like, you're doing 
it. Like you are doing what's yours to do in the world. And that's so beautiful to me. And um, mm -hmm. I guess I hope you can rest in that, you know, and, and say mm -hmm. it's enough. My best friend said um, uh, once to me when I was struggling with, what do I do next? What do I do next? She said, Nadia, if you never wrote another book or another sermon or another essay again for the rest of your life, you've already done enough. And I was like, it, I just started crying, you know, it was such grace. So I try to, um, I try to pass that on when it feels right. And um, I don't think you should stop doing what you're doing. I just think, <laughs> um, but, but I hope you can rest in it being, you're doing what yours to do. And that's really, really beautiful. Mm. Oh, thank you for that. I mean, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say it is important if you have platform and you have privilege to signal boost voices that might not have that amount of platform and privilege in moments where they're the ones who should be listened to, you know? So I think that's a really, really good use of that is to point to others rather than pridefully thinking like, I'm the person who needs to call this <laughs> thing out <laughs> so, yeah. so that I can be, you know, that's why I said, you know, sometimes it feels like being a liberal on social media is like a really poorly designed video game in which um, you you never actually engage the, with the other side. You just get ranking points by pointing out how people on your same team are wrong. Then you get, mm. you get a level up and then that's the whole game. That's... <laughs> Like this is totally. a stupid game. It's doing nothing. <laughs> we're not we're not engaging the other side. Dear listeners, I hope this conversation calmed your nervous system a bit. I know it did mine. You know, I feel like we're sort of living inside of a paradox. On the one hand, we do need to stay informed and engaged. We do need to express unequivocal solidarity with the least powerful and resourced. And we do need to reflect on where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. But, and on the other hand, we need to rest. We need to rest in the reality that our exposure outstrips our knowledge that our most meaningful actions are still taken locally, that evil is everywhere. And so too is love and goodness and grace. Sometimes in one body, in one country, in one moment, it's all true at once. And that's destabilizing, at least for me. I guess it's a new twist on that old saying, if you're not destabilized, you're not paying attention. So together listeners, let's pay attention especially locally, offer our gifts, rest, and repeat. Take care out there, everyone. Do you have a paradox that needs exploring? We love them. Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. We might just have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please, please, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Joel Meyer is our senior editor. The show is produced by Rosemary Belson with Kevin Bendis and Jabari Butler. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Carvel Wallace is my co-host. I'm Courtney Martin. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>